Hey there fellow Texan AM student, it's Chris McCullough and we are in between classes guys. As always, I will be the bridge to the passions of the professors we share. Today I had the pleasure of sitting down with the history department's very own Dr. William Kaiser and we talked about the struggles history professors deal with and what the future holds for studies in humanities. Without wasting any more time guys, let's get into it right now. I knew from a very early age that I, um, that I wanted to be a historian of some sort. Um, I've had a, a deep interest in history since I was a, just a little kid. Um, I get it from my dad. My dad, uh, he's not a, a professor or teacher, he's just sort of a history enthusiast. And um, from a very young age, he used to take me to a lot of historic sites, uh, old military forts, ghost towns, places like that. And so I always was sort of fascinated with local history. I grew up in southern New Mexico, so my uh, geographic area of focus in my own research is the southwest borderlands. And I found myself by third grade or so wanting to to learn about the places I was visiting. So I started reading books and uh, and on the Apaches, on the, the military on the frontier, the Navajos, topics like that. And in eighth grade, we did a, um, a class project over the course of an entire semester. And it was a, a career project where you had to choose a career and you had to research that career, find out what the salary was, you had to find out uh, what, you'd, uh, what you'd be doing in that career, and you had to uh, balance your checkbook. Uh, it was sort of almost like a, an exercise in being an adult, and the career that I chose was a historian, and it was very vague at that point. I, I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to be a college professor. Um, just as a historian, that could have meant almost anything. It could have been a, a, a K-12 teacher, a professor, uh, archivist, public history, um, historic preservation. Uh, but I do remember that I, uh, that I chose history for that project. Um, that was right about the time that I realized that I was not going to become a professional baseball player, which I was convinced for many, many years as a child that I was going to make it and I was going to be the next, uh, the next superstar. So that was a little more realistic going with history. Um, when I got to college at New Mexico State University, I knew by then that I wanted to teach history. I did not yet know whether I wanted to teach high school or college, so I double majored in history and secondary education. And over the course of two to three years of taking college classes, for a variety of reasons, it became clear to me that I wanted to go the college route to teach at a university. So from there, I then uh, applied to graduate school, went on to uh, do a master's, PhD at Arizona State University, and, and now I'm here. Uh, so next question, what, what necessarily led you to become a professor, and what has kept you in the role of a professor and teacher of history? Um, one of the things that really appealed to me about being a college professor um, I love to teach. I love being in the classroom. I didn't know that yet when I was in college. Um, but what I did know, what I did come to realize when I was in college at New Mexico State as an undergraduate is that I loved doing research and writing. Uh, I started researching and writing my first two books while I was an undergraduate in between classes on my free time. And that's something that, uh, that I really had a passion for and continue to have a passion for 
and being a college professor gives me the opportunity to do that in ways that um, teaching in a high school would not. For example, universities put a strong emphasis on, on publishing and scholarship, and that's part of the job. As a, a college professor, you're expected to do research and publish in addition to teaching, in addition to committee service and, and other university service. So it's literally part of the job. Um, and there's also funding available uh, for research travel, conferences, and things of that sort. So that was one, one thing specifically that, that pushed me into, um, into this profession as, a, as opposed to teaching high school. Um, I've found myself kind of, as I've become a college professor now that I'm in the profession, sort of changing a little bit in terms of my, uh, my research interests. I still focus on the southwest borderlands, mm -hmm. but I, um, it's much less specific to military and Native American history now. You know, growing up, those were the types of, of sites that I you know, visited, and so it was a very specific kind of history that I was interested in. And having gone through a very long um, process of college and graduate school, and, and uh, you know, my intellectual development has, has taken me more into the direction of, of borderland studies. Um, I've broadened geographically from you know, the Texas-Mexico borderlands all, all the way between uh, New Mexico, Arizona. Uh, my time period is, uh, focus is still 19th century. And I've also, now as a college professor, been able to develop courses that I teach around those areas of, of research expertise. Mm -hmm. So I integrate the two. When I teach Civil War and Reconstruction, uh, I, I have lectures on um, on topics that I've written books about, on Civil War diplomacy in the uh, U.S.-Mexico borderlands, on debt peonage and alternative forms of slavery in the American Southwest during the Civil War era. And so, um, same thing when I teach Native American history. Um, I, I teach lessons specifically on, on uh, Indian slavery, on, uh, on the Apache and Navajo Wars, uh, and in that way I'm able to my research is able to inform my teaching in the classroom at the college level. Um, for some students that, that aren't necessarily into history, might find your classes boring or um, not pay attention. So how do you kind of interact with those students and keep all students, regardless if they're into history or not, engaged in your classes and keep them wanting to come back um, to your class? My own educational experiences, I had professors who my favorite professor in college at NMSU, I took about five or six classes with him. He could he could pack a classroom at 8 a.m. on a Monday morning. Mm -hmm. Most most teachers can't do that. It's hard to get anybody right. to get up at 8 a.m. on a Monday morning, much less college students for a class. Uh, he was just he was that good, and that uh, he was, and and he was just a lecturer. He, he lectured. It, it was there was no PowerPoint. It was just. Um, but, but he was that engaging, and, and people wanted to be there. And I also had professors in college who, in a classroom of 60, they were lucky to get 20 students there on any given day. And, and you would sit there and you would almost, you know, uh, and it was just a, a dull, mindless experience because it really was just 
and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and on this date this happened, and then this happened, and you just sit there and you feel yourself almost being sort of lulled into a trance of boredom. And so uh, I've, I've had experiences on both ends of that spectrum, and I, uh, I try to mimic um, what, uh, what I've found to be the most useful to me academically, intellectually, when I was in college. Um, you teaching with objectivity, does, do you see that as a key part of the, um, the allowance of your students to think more outside of the box when it comes to the his humanities or history field? Like they're allowed to think more about the future that they can have or the jobs that they can have because there's, as you said earlier, there's like a, there's a, a shift towards the humanity, humanities jobs and the uh, big corporations to avoid public mistakes. I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't necessarily tie that to, to objectivity in the classroom, but certainly that is uh, a recent trend uh, in, in history that is sort of just beginning and hopefully stays a trend in terms of the usefulness of a humanities education. Uh, that could be history, that could be political science, that could be uh, any number of areas, economics. The usefulness in terms of, uh, of employment. Mm -hmm. For the last you know, 20 or 30 years, um, humanities programs, including history, have, have lost a lot of interest on the part of students because of the shift towards technology, the tech industry, and where are all of the best paying jobs most people believe? Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. Apple, Google, Amazon, and, and, and there's been an impetus for a at least a couple of decades now for students to gravitate towards those areas in their degree plans, um, uh, computer engineering, uh, the STEM fields basically. And this has come in some ways at the expense of the humanities. But what I've been reading in the last six months to a year or so is that there's beginning to be a shift among these tech companies, within these tech companies, where managers, um, uh, executives are starting to recognize the importance of a humanities education in order to deal with human problems. And uh, one example, and, and I'm just sort of paraphrasing this from, um, from memory, this came out quite a while back, but um, you know, if, if you're a computer programmer and you're writing code, um, obviously that's a very specific skill, something I certainly couldn't do, wouldn't have the first clue how to do that. But that skill and the training it takes to be good at that, years of intense training to be good at that, sometimes, oftentimes, comes at the expense of a broader, uh, more well-rounded education that might include uh, the humanities. It might include a more, uh, a more nuanced understanding of, of culture and society and of people. Um, and, and that's not necessarily a, a criticism of, of, of the STEM field. It's just sort of a product of, of the nature of study. Um, and the same could be said for somebody in humanities. I, I don't have 
you know, having a, a history degree, I don't have any training in, in, in STEM areas, and I couldn't do those things. But what, uh, what some tech companies are realizing are that mistakes are being made, uh, not purposely, but they're being made um, in the course of, of technological development, programming, that have real-world implications. And they're the types of mistakes that uh, somebody with a humanities education could, could catch uh, at an early stage and prevent it from becoming a public issue. And one of these that came up a while back was had to do with uh, mapping, internet mapping. It was either Google Maps or, or iPhone Maps or something like that. And it showed uh, someone had written the code for the, the mapping. Uh, it was an app or, or, or whatever it was. You can tell how much I know about tech, right? Um, had written the code in such a way that it showed the Crimean Peninsula as part of Russia. And this ended up being a controversy because just a few years ago, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, in Russia, uh, Russians basically retook forcefully retook the Crimean Peninsula, which had been part of the Ukraine, and sort of reincorporated it back into Russia. And this was a rather aggressive act. It goes back into the legacy of the Cold War, the Soviet Union, uh, uh, and and this was controversial because the world at large does not recognize Russian sovereignty over Crimea. The world does not recognize, uh, formally recognize Russia's um, uh, aggressive action in, uh, in, in geopolitically absorbing Crimea. And, and yet here you have this major company, and again, I don't remember whether it was Google or Apple or what, um, that is essentially, by mistake, recognizing Crimea as part of Russia. And it's a, a pretty simple mistake that somebody with... Um, uh, with with knowledge of of you know political science or, or any variety of areas would have immediately you know said hey no we need this is not any proofreading in, the, in essence would have caught it but they you know nobody caught it because nobody on staff necessarily had those skills Alrighty, guys thanks so much for listening i hope you enjoyed every last minute of this and i hope you were able to squeeze in an episode before your next class i hope your professor is about is setting up and getting ready to give a lecture i ask each professor before we leave to give a quick shout out to the clubs or student organizations that they are currently working with i'm the faculty advisor to the history honor society which is called phi alpha theta um now, in order to be a member of that, it, uh, it requires, there are certain requirements, a certain GPA, a certain number of credit hours, and, um, and uh, every spring semester I send out invitations to students who are eligible to join, and so I would encourage any students who do get that email from me to consider joining uh, Phi Alpha Theta. The initiation ceremony will be in April. We do it each year, and if anybody has questions about uh, that honor society they're welcome to come and uh, and talk to me about it and uh, we also have I'm not an advisor to it but we also have history club uh, Dr. Galan and Dr. Briscoe are the two faculty advisors and for any students who are interested in history getting to know some of their fellow history majors participating in campus events guest speakers um, poss- uh, sometimes conference presentations uh, I would encourage them to
contact either Dr. Francis Galan or Dr. Uh, D.B. Briscoe about that. Okay. And um, what's a good website for the Phi Theta? The Phi Alpha Theta Phi is Theta. just, um, there's not a special website for it. it um, there should just be a web page on the university website. Okay. There is a website for the national organization, but that won't direct students to me in any way. Okay. So they I should just, uh, my faculty page okay. would be the place to go. Just I put it in when I have uh, it on the website. Actually, um, just uh, just put the history page for our university. Okay. Uh, there's a so under the Temusa website, there's a, a special page for history, mm -hmm. and that has links for History Club and Phi Alpha Theta on it. Okay. And it has my uh, my faculty page on it too. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Sure thing.